Montana Voice. This one is set in Missoula in the 80s. It's a story of people I met and talked with. A dancer from Boston. Bob has calloused hands, sun-faded laborer's clothes, and a face that is not handsome. Bob is a drunk. He shows up each day after work for happy hour at the top hat, and he looks harmless and he's quiet, but he burns places down. He pours gasoline through the broken windows of bars where she danced. Four years earlier, near his 30th birthday, springtime in Montana, when the river's ice jams had let loose with their floods, he wasn't a drunk and he was not dangerous. Ten years since any kind of permanence, Montana was just a place he was working at while on his way through things. The West, he had discovered, left him alone. Oil fields, ranches, or highway work, there were always places to stay for a month or a season where the rents were cheap and the rooms quiet. The fringes of boom towns were the best empty oil barrels and scrap lumber in fields next to weekly rent motels and employers who paid with cash. This still goes on. This is very real. This story, these people, this sort of painful haunting. She was a dancer with the Boston Ballet. 23 years old, a degree in literature, and a family with money. One morning that spring, she missed the chartered flight that was taking the ballet to Seattle and ended up, instead, on a flight that went through Salt Lake City and Missoula. During the flight, she got drunk again. She had been drinking heavily for a few days, and in Missoula, Believing that the plane had landed in Seattle, she got off. When she discovered her mistake, she took a cab to town, got a hotel room, and called the dance director. He fired her on the phone, and she decided then to stay where she was until her money ran out. The next night, she walked into the top hat. It was a Friday, and the place was crowded. Bob was sitting at the bar, drinking a beer, and she pushed next to him to order. After she got her drink, she leaned backwards against the bar and watched the people who were dancing in front of the band. She arched her back and shook her head. Her long hair brushed against Bob's face and poured over his arm. He watched her in the bar's mirror. There was nothing he was going to say or do, but when she put down her empty glass, she saw him looking at her. She met his stare in the reflection, and she smiled. Dance? she asked, still looking only at his reflection. Why not? he answered. Smoky, dim, and the band was loud and fast. He kept up with her, and she liked that. 
She also liked how he did not try to talk to her between songs, and she liked how his breathing was even and calm. They danced all night. Other men watched her, the men who were in the crowd near the end of the bar, the college boys with quick eyes. She saw them watching her. Their shirts and the way they stood reminded her of what the dance director looked like, the dance director and all the others she had let touch her, all the boys and men with their plans and their schemes, their sailboats on the Boston Harbor, write-ups in magazines, inheritance and well-planned control. She stomped and spun wildly, nearly fell, and threw her arms around Bob's neck, kissed him suddenly, and, before he could respond, she whispered in his ear, Take me out of this place. Take me anywhere. His room was in the Montaigne Apartments, and she was standing there now, looking out the window at the river. The ice that was flowing there crushed against itself, making low, grinding noises but the ice in her glass of scotch made gentler sounds. The only light in the room came from a street light, and she was naked and silhouetted with her hair down to her waist. Bob was naked too, lying on his back, watching her. She had been fast and unpredictable, and nothing had ever felt so good. Now he just watched her and listened to the sounds of the ice. I like this, she said. I like this place. I, I like the view. Then she put her drink down and lay next to Bob and fell asleep. In the morning, he woke before her. He took the covers off and looked at her. There was not a flaw, and her legs were too exciting for him to look at without touching. She woke up then and laughed and said, Your hands are rough. And then she wrapped herself about him, and Bob did not even try to understand. Sailboats in the harbor against a backdrop of crystal towers. One, two, three, four. The water ferry slicing past them every half hour, and the gulls skimming the wakes. She was telling him about Boston, pointing and counting what she was remembering. A week had gone by. Bob had stopped going to his job. He spent all his time with her. He cooked her breakfasts, eggs and sausage and coffee, using the hot plate in his room. He'd wake her up and get her to eat a bit. She was always hungover, and she would start drinking then, pouring scotch into the coffee. He liked it, too, the not caring, because he had everything possible. He had more than what he dreamed could be possible, and being drunk with her was something better than his dreams. She would rub his shoulders, touch his arms, and move her hands along his face. What have you been through? she asked him. Your hands and your face. Tell me stories. Tell me everything. And he did. Stories about old cars and stories about highways thunderheads over the prairies at night 
and driving towards the flashing lightning with distant AM radio coming through the static. Stories about oil rigs in winter and how the ice had to be melted with steam from metal hoses. Stories about watching fights between men who would not hold back. And stories about being alone and waiting for something to change. Dancing. Dancing each night. And each night they went to where there was music. Luke's, the turf, the top hat, Jay's. All the Missoula bars had bands then. And she loved the raw sounds mixing with smoke in those places. And she liked the way Bob never told her to stop. Each night, after the bars closed, they would stumble back to his room and, no matter how drunk, have sex like they were still dancing, crushed and sweaty, desperate and perfect. Then his money was gone, and hers ran out too. He sold his car to pay rent, and when that money was spent, he got a job. Don't leave me alone, she said. It was no longer spring. The river was low and muddy. The rented room was hot and small. I've no choice, he said. Now, each night, he was tired. But she needed to dance, and he needed to sleep. In a few weeks, I'll quit, he told her. But now his hands were starting to bother her. Your rough hands, she yelled. Put your hands someplace else. And then she was gone. No explanation. No letter. Just him coming back to his nearly empty room one evening and all her things missing. The earrings by the sink, the clothes in the closet, all gone. That night he found her in the turf. She was dancing with another man. Bob waited until the song was over and went up to her. She smiled at him when he told her he wanted to talk. Sorry, she said, but there's nothing to say. Bob put his hand on her face and was trying to talk. But the boy she was dancing with knocked Bob's arm away and shouted at him. Hey, she told you to leave her alone. Bob said to the boy, This is not a Western. Stay out of this. This is between me and her. Then the band started to play again, and it was too loud to hear anything. She grabbed the boy, and they were dancing and spinning and moving into the deepest part of the crowd. Bob watched them for a while, and then he walked out of the bar, not knowing what to do, not knowing where to go, but knowing everything now was terribly wrong. For a while, he saw her in the bars, saw her dancing. But he didn't try to talk to her again. He didn't try to do anything. But he wanted her back. Every night now, after work, he would go from place to place until he found where she was dancing. And he would sit at the bar and drink and watch her until she would see him. Then she would leave, followed by whomever it was she was with, which on most nights would be someone new, someone he had never noticed before. For a few weeks, he thought that she would come back to him. 
He knew that some night soon there would be a knock on his door and it would be her. He kept an unopened bottle on his dresser. He kept two clean cups ready. But he was wrong. And then she was gone from the bars and Bob did not know where she was. He didn't know if she had left town or not. It was winter then, and Missoula's air was thick and dirty. The sun was a gray, dull ball low in the sky, and the river was frozen and silent. Bob went on the road, hitchhiking south, to be in places where he knew that she could not be. The desert boom towns and oil patch, Places so stark that he knew she would not be. Places where he would not be hoping for an unexpected touch, an unexpected dream. Now all these years later, Bob is sitting in the top hat on a Wednesday evening. He's come back to Missoula to be in the bars where they were together, and none of it makes any sense. A month ago, he burnt down Luke's on a Monday morning before dawn and then was in bed sleeping, calmly sleeping, while the fire hoses were spraying the embers. A month before, he had done it to the turf. Tonight, in the top hat, he's staring at the dance floor. It's early and the place is almost empty. Bob is crying but crying so softly that no one notices. He is seeing her again, and she is spinning and smiling, her hair tangling in his arms, in his hands. He sees her holding him as the song ends, and she is pushing her face into his chest, breathing deeply, smelling him, and then saying, Here's another fast one. He is watching her, reaching up with her whole body to kiss him. He sees her staggering a bit, and he sees himself catching her, steadying her, and he sees her start to dance with him again. Then the song is over, and he's just a drifter, someone coming to a strange town for work and a place to be, someone who has lost all his chances and is alone. He clearly sees himself now, stoop-shouldered and suddenly old, watching her ghost dancing with him. Worse, she is dancing with another man now, while more wait in line for their chance. Bob sees all of this, and he stops crying, and he just wants to burn the place down. Bob turns away from the empty dance floor. He wipes his eyes and then he asks the bartender for another drink. The bartender serves him and then says, Strange news about Luke's, huh? Who do you think is burning the bars? Bob looks at the bartender and he shrugs. Bob doesn't care and he's not worried. He does not feel guilty. All he's thinking is how long will it be before this place This last haunt of hers is also too much for him to stand. 
You've just listened to A Dancer from Boston, a Montana Voice podcast. Words and harmonica by me, Steve Seroff. Guitar and other music by my friend, Eric Forrest Hutchins. I hope you liked what you heard, and I hope you come back to hear more.